Welcome to Love Uncensored, the modern guide to dating and relationships. I'm your host, Nicole Colantoni, a dating and relationship coach. And each week, along with special guests who aren't afraid to speak their minds, we challenge norms and expectations in love and relationships. From childhood trauma to sex, we explore the uncomfortable and unspoken, providing valuable insight and actionable advice for building healthier relationships. Join us for candid conversations about all things love, whether you're single, in a relationship, or somewhere in between. I think dating should be fun. Dating should be like approached in a way that I'm just going to go meet this person. They might be a friend. They might be a moment. They might be a couple of weeks. I might get to know something more about myself. Yeah. I think dating is often hard when we go in with the attitude that I need their approval. I need to perform for them. Like don't perform. Let them show you who they are. So in this episode, I dive deep into the world of dating, relationships, and grief with licensed psychologist and my dear friend, Rachel Tacasio. In this episode, we explore Rachel's personal journey with love and loss, as well as her expert insights on conflict resolution and heartbreak. Find out what Rachel believes are the key ingredients for a healthy relationship and the traits to look for in a partner. We also tackle the challenges of the modern dating world and Rachel shares her thoughts on why so many people struggle to find love. Plus, we discuss the impact of upbringing on relationships and how to overcome conditioning. Rachel provides empowering advice for anyone who is struggling with their singledom or hates dating and shares her expert tips for handling tricky relationship situations. Stay tuned until the end when Rachel shares one essential piece of advice for anyone looking to navigate the complex world of love and relationships. Rachel, welcome to Love Uncensored. Good morning, Nicole. Thanks for having me. So, I've had a week. Mm-hmm. I know you've had a week. Mm-hmm. Tell me about your week. My week. Um, well, I've flown up from Melbourne a couple of nights ago. And so, you've had no sleep. And I've had next to no sleep. I was anxious about today. So I totally think we should just like acknowledge and normalize how stressful life is. And even people like yourself and myself, who might be seen as like the professionals or the experts in the field, can have just really rough, challenging sometimes really shitty times. Oh, absolutely. (laughs) This week has been a shitty week for me too. I've been like living off no sleep. So we are normal people coming together today. Thank you so much for showing up, even though you have had no sleep. So let's start from the beginning. Let's do that. What was your upbringing like? So I was the eldest of two people in like your typical nuclear family, if that's what you want to call it, which I've listened to your podcast before and have an understanding that that's not necessarily typical, (laughs) but that's the label if you want to put it on there for us. Dad immigrated from Italy when he was around eight years old. My mum was the youngest of five children and in the family I was kind of, I took on the role quite young as the peacekeeper. Although I'm told up until the age of five, I was a little shit. (laughs) So at some point I've realised that to keep the peace or um, to be recognised as being the good girl, that I need to be kind, I need to take care of everyone else. I think that came from my sensitive temperament, you know, that nature-nurture kind of debate about what drives our behaviour. It was a bit of both. How interesting. And Mm. so what do you know why you decided to take on the role as peacekeeper? I'd, I'd say I didn't recognize it at the time, but through a lot of years of like personal and professional development, I've come to recognize that um, I realized that perhaps other people, other family members' emotions were like bigger or louder than mine, not necessarily in a bad way, that they just had different ways of expressing them. Or perhaps sometimes we have a limited capacity at being at knowing how to express our emotions or regulate them. So true. Mm. And so how would you say that your upbringing has shaped you? My, I definitely am one of those people where my upbringing led me in to take the career path that I've taken today. Um, in primary school, I was peer mediating in grade three and grade four and five and six. <laughs> <laughs> I used to love my little um, peer mediator, bright yellow basketball short on my clipboard. <laughs> you did it. I did love it. <laughs> and I think that's another uh, way how like that good girl showed up in me in at school because I was quite good at school too. So that's another way I kept the peace. Like I did really well. I got love and attention and approval um, by doing well. 
So I learned being productive and successful in that sense meant that I was accepted, included, and that I was good enough. But did anyone tell you that, okay, you have to be a good girl? Or was that just something that you adopted yourself? I think I just adopted it. Like it's like good girl syndrome. I think Brene Brown, if you're familiar with her work, and I'm sure plenty of listeners are. um, Yeah, she talks about that whole good girl syndrome, um, how we learn really young that this certain behavior gets rewarded or doesn't get rewarded. It's so interesting. And you said that you have another sibling, your brother, right? Yes. Did he adopt a good boy behaviour? Quite the opposite. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Yeah, and perhaps felt a little bit like he lived in my shadows when we were younger Um, and then that I still carried guilt for that, like knowing how hard I kind of tried to be a good girl to keep the peace. My intention was never to kind of take the limelight away from him, but, I, yeah, I carry a lot of guilt for feeling like perhaps making him feel like he didn't do good enough. But, okay, so going back to this, like, good girl behaviour, do you feel like it's innate in us? Or do you think it's also a combination of, like, conditioning? Yeah, I think it's a bit of both. Again, comes back to that nature-nurture. Society, what they expect of women to provide, to take care, like, generally. But you just picked up on it at such a young age. Mm. You're like, if I'm a good girl, it will get rewarded. If I take on the caregiver role, it will get rewarded. Yeah. Yeah. And even I've had conversations with my mum, you know, more recent years, and she's like, well, but I never asked you to do this or I never asked you to do that. And I was like, no, I'm certainly not saying that you said I have to be like that in order to get this. But it's, you know, the intention versus impact. That wasn't mum's intention. Mm -hmm. It's not our parents' intention necessarily, but it can be the impact it has on a young child that can't put words to our experience or what we're feeling, but we're little sponges when we're that young, right? It's so true. Okay, so would you say that your upbringing influenced your decision to become yeah, a psychologist? for sure, because I think um, even in high school I was the gatekeeper of everyone's secrets, right? So everyone felt safe to come to me. I was like I welcomed the opportunity to hold space for them and to hear what was happening in their world because perhaps I needed someone, whether it was a friend, to just kind of be in here for me. Not that I could say I had anything in particular to talk about, (laughs) but um, yeah, I just felt the pressure to kind of hold everyone else. Okay. So did you know from a very young age that this was the sort of- Yeah, the career path I wanted to take. Yeah. Sure. Wow. Okay. And so what do you love most about being a psychologist? Uh, I think the opportunity to hold space for people to tell their story. Early on in my career, I felt a lot of pressure to like do something, make them feel better, give them homework, that kind of thing. And I slowly started to realize, holy shit, all most people want is just someone to listen to them. It is (laughs) so true because even when I go for lunch now, I will like observe people like groups sitting at tables Mm -hmm. and often they're just swiping on their phones. They're not even listening to or speaking to their friends. I feel like people yeah, are really just lacking somebody who listens to them and is invested in what's going on in their life. Absolutely. And like I'll have I'll have some clients that literally have nobody else or they've got others but they feel like they're a burden. Like my story is too much for other people. I've had clients tell me that they can't talk about their uh, particular workload. They might work in trauma or something else that's really quite traumatic for them and they don't want to expose me to more, to trauma myself. So you know, that's somebody else caretaking, even for their therapist. <laughs> Isn't that amazing? Okay, so what are some of the most common issues that your clients come to you with? Uh, this, is, this is a good question. There's no kind of black and white or straight up answer for that one. I think the way I like to work is I like people to kind of be able to deep dive into their past and get an understanding of whatever traumas or attachment styles and relationships, um, how they just form their behaviours now, their personality type and the way they relate to other people. So there's no real common presentation, but I love to work with people around maladaptive kind of coping responses. Talk me through what that is. Um, Yeah. So where do we start? (laughs) Um, I think that when we're children, well, I know when we're children, we develop certain ways of responding to our environment And it's often based on like that fight, flight or freeze, like those automatic nervous system responses. And they look a certain way when we're children, but then they can mould or or merge into something quite different when we're adults. Um, For some people, that fight mode might be literally like physically fighting or being really verbally aggressive when we feel threatened. Um, The flight mode is that avoidant kind of 
protector that might run away, that might shut down, that might binge watch Netflix for like weeks on end or find it really hard to get out of bed sometimes, um, be really detached from their physical body and so not have a lot of awareness around what they're feeling in their bodies. And the freeze response is a bit of a shutdown where we just feel quite paralyzed and we don't know what to do. And we've also got like another avoidant kind of detached self-soother side to some of us where we like overspend, um, take too many drugs, drink a lot of alcohol because we're trying to escape our uncomfortable present reality. I feel like I've experienced all of those things at different times in my life. And they serve a purpose when we're young and they serve a purpose when we're this age, but we call them maladaptive because they actually get in the way of our needs being met. Yeah, that's so true because if you're being avoidant, then you're not actually really allowing yourself to be in the relationship, be present in the relationship and be open to receiving and giving love, right? So that makes a lot of sense. But going back to what you were saying about like why we do it when we're a child, it's almost like you have to do it as a survival mechanism. Yeah, and it's automatic. So it's based on our temperament. So, you know, um, think of a little kid that might be really rough and tumble and they kind of fall over and they get back up again and they dust off their knees and they charge on and they run headfirst into a pole and they're fine again (laughs) versus a child that might like knock their finger or graze their knee and they're kind of quite upset and they uh, have difficulty perhaps soothing themselves or they need a little bit more nurturance to kind of regulate them. They're more that sensitive temperament. Okay, so... We've spoken a lot about dating, relationships, and grief as Mm. friends. What has your experience with dating and relationships been like? Um, I've had like three serious relationships in my life. So I'm nearly 35 now. So I started dating when I was 19. Um, That was like my first relationship. It was on and off like two and a half years, off for a year, back on for a year and a half. Um, I think that being kind of like first love, figuring out who we are, wanting different things personally and professionally. We weren't a, like a bad match, but it just wasn't wasn't something that I saw or either of us saw probably progressing into the future. Yeah. But it was pretty healthy. It was lots of fun. Like it's the time of your life when you're that age, right? You're going out, you've got lots of friends, you want to adventure in the world. Okay. And where are you at with relationships now? Uh, well, more almost five years ago, I had a partner of mine uh, pass away unexpectedly in an uh, accident. So that was quite a traumatic time for me. I was 29 years old, not prepared for that. Like no one's ever prepared for that, I guess. Um, That relationship was pretty healthy. It was very grounding. Uh, It involved me being a stepmom. So there was further loss kind of that accompanied that relationship, the end of that relationship. Did you think that that partner who passed away was your forever person at the time? Yeah, I guess I did. Yeah, like I saw a future with that person. I didn't see anything differently, but I knew I was still growing and evolving into who I was meant to be. Um, I'm also a firm believer that everything happens for a reason. (laughs) As am I, yeah. Yeah, which that partner at the time used to say to me, and I used to say, if you say that one more time, I'm going to backhand you, (laughs) literally. Yeah. And then that ended up happening. Wow. Okay. And how would you say that that experience has shaped you Mm. now? That was probably one of the most transforming experiences I've had in my life. Heartbreaking, devastating, like life-changing in good and bad ways perhaps. But I think I've seen a lot of post-traumatic growth because I committed really hard to working on everything that came up for me in that situation. And do you ever think, do you think that you ever get over something like that? Or is that just something that you live with for the rest of your life? I don't think we ever really get over anything that happens in our lives. We just have to learn to adapt. Um, We have to recognize that these traumatic or painful events are going to like ebb and flow or they're going to come in waves in it throughout our lives. Uh, And I often say that uh, my life since then is bittersweet. Wow. Yeah. And that you know, our lives after any loss or painful event are going to be marbled with grief, which is quite a beautiful concept, right? It is. It's beautiful. And I think that 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 is actually what like creates character in a person, Mm, mm. you know? Yeah. Like I would not be the person that I am today if it wasn't for the sort of upbringing that I had and the different relationships Mm. and subsequent heartbreak that followed, you know? And I wouldn't be able to appreciate certain aspects of my life now if it wasn't for that, yeah. you know, trauma. <laughs> yeah. There's, and that's, a, that's something else to kind of I think we should highlight is trauma is not like capital T trauma. Like 
trauma is I work with a lot of clients with complex trauma, which is repeated exposure to traumatic or neglectful or abusive uh, situations. So it doesn't always have to be one big thing. It doesn't have to be in our childhood. It can be at any stage throughout our lives, especially when it comes to relationships. And so do you have any tips for dealing with grief? Mm, I do. Lean into it. That's so scary. Yeah, absolutely. It's confronting. Our bodies are going to do what they're going to do in the beginning. They're going to shut down if they want to shut down. They're going to break down if they want to break down. True. Um, But it's going to catch up to you eventually. And so how do you lean in? Don't be too busy. Let yourself have your sad days. Make space to be sad. Don't dismiss your own experience. Don't say, I shouldn't be sad. I should be better. I should be feeling this. Avoid the what ifs. And that's, you know, grief, loss, like that's death or relationships or anything. I when think. you say what if, you mean like what if I did this differently? Would yeah. It, yeah. Yeah. Because yeah. so the blaming, you don't want to blame yourself. Yeah. 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 Avoid blaming yourself, which is so hard to do. Mm. I feel like with my one of my breakups, I did the what ifs for years. Yeah. And we'll do them over and over again, even in our healthy relationships. What if I didn't try this or what if I tried that? So true. Okay. So have you spent much time being single? Yeah, I have actually. Like I've had like a couple of years in between most of my relationships. Were you ever on the apps? For a limited amount of time. What was your experience with the apps? Didn't love them. Okay. <laughs> don't, don't like not seeing someone in person. It's really difficult to judge like their energy or their intentions. Um, they would fill a space. The scrolling would be when I'm bored. I think people need to use those apps um, going into it with an attitude of, Whatever will be, will be. Not too many expectations. Such an unrealistic way to meet people and to judge people that makes us disposable, that makes us treat other people like they're disposable. It's so true. I feel like people approach online dating with so many expectations and that's where we go wrong. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. I okay. mean, expectations are like they're what destroy us in anything, right? Oh, <laughs> if you think yeah. Who it. hurt you? My yeah. expectations. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Every not, day. Well, it's not always the other. It's not always the other person, right? Yeah. It's what we think should be happening. Oh, all the time. My life should look like, mm. and then it's like, well, it actually looks like this, yeah. <laughs> and that's the problem. Yeah. <laughs> what do you like about being in a relationship? Mm. Uh, I like the the connectivity, like someone to kind of share your day with. I like the opportunity to have like inside jokes, someone to kind of come home to, to hold. Um, what else do I like? I like the uh, idea of adventure, um, the opportunity to be interdependent because I'm quite known, renowned for being fiercely independent, which is probably a little bit of a trauma response as well. So, to having lost someone. Who yeah. Loves so, so much. I guess for me, connect closeness leads to pain. So, that's something that I've been working through is that learning how to be vulnerable, when to be vulnerable, how to accept love, attention and care when it's offered and not to see everything through like a you're a threat or there's a potential of risk or danger or being abandoned. It's so interesting that you say that because for like the two years in the lead up to me meeting Nick, I hired a lot of relationship coaches to work on vulnerability and intimacy with And I was very much like the avoidant type who threw myself into 24-7 work. I didn't let people get close. And that's a protection mechanism because of what I've been through. And I feel like vulnerability is something you really have to learn Mm -hmm. both when you're single and in a relationship. Because it looks different when when you're single and when you're in a relationship. A hundred percent. And dare I say it, it's often more confronting when you're in a relationship. Absolutely. Mm. And I think – a lot of the time there's this um, this false idea that you have to love yourself before you can love someone else or you have to know how to be vulnerable on your own before you can be vulnerable with someone else, which I do not agree with. Oh, tell me why. Mm, I, I think a lot of our healing happens when we are in connection with somebody else because we're not challenged, we're not, um, no, there's, you know, whether it's an argument or a disagreement or a different opinion or something, like there's no opportunities. It's like a science experiment being in a relationship, right? Totally. Yeah, you're in a yeah. petri dish. <laughs> you're like mixing these ingredients together and hoping for the best. Yeah, <laughs> and often does not work out. <laughs> yeah, 100%. Mm. But just to go back to what you said about you don't agree with how you have to love yourself mm. in order to be in a relationship. Mm. But if you don't love yourself, how mm. can you have a healthy relationship? Yeah. yeah. So I think we always need to be working towards caring for ourselves, learning how to love ourselves, prioritizing ourselves, but we don't have to be fully healed. Oh God, no. Is I don't feel like you ever yeah, are fully healed. Right. <laughs> I always say healing is a doing word. Yeah. Yeah. 
Yeah, yeah it's a lifelong process. Yeah, yeah, I think being open to being loved but being open to learning how to love yourself as well is really important. A hundred percent. I always say you have to be open to giving and receiving. Yeah. yeah, so true. Okay, so Rach, do you believe in the one and how do you know when you've met them? Mm, I don't believe in the one. <gasps> I believe there's many the ones. Oh, you're one of those. Yeah, yeah because there's, there's <laughs> <laughs> I and I say that because I believe there's many versions of us. Oh, I love that. Mm. So there's a different person for us at different stages in our journey. That's so true. Yeah. So loaded, isn't it? The word, yeah. though, isn't it? The one. And look, if I want to get even more technical, I believe that we're the one for ourselves. Like we've already met them. We already know them. A hundred percent. Yeah. Person in the mirror. Yeah. For sure. Okay. Yeah. So how do you approach conflict in a relationship? Not always the best, <laughs> if I'm being honest. Um, how I'd love to be able to approach conflict more consistently is, you know, with calmness, with kindness first, with the intention of like solving the difficulty, um, not trying to blame, just trying to give each other or holding space for each other to be heard, uh, which is something I've had to learn how to practice knowing when to tap in, knowing when to tap out, when to ask for space. I love that you're so honest about like not always handling yeah. it the best though because right. you're a psychologist yeah. and I know that you help a lot of people mm. with their relationships. So I appreciate that honesty. And like I said, I've had a very sleep-deprived week this yeah. week. <laughs> I haven't been my best either. My partner has copped it because yeah. of that. And I coach people in their relationships mm. as mm-hmm. well. So we're all a work in progress. And I think totally. it's important to remind ourselves of that. Yeah. You know, but there are, like you said, certain tools and tips that we can mm. use to try to at least aspire to be better. <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. And I think, um, you know, looking at a situation objectively versus subjectively makes such a difference. Like we can give advice to our best friend about something, but it doesn't mean we take it for ourselves. Oh, it's, oh gosh, no, <laughs> <laughs> definitely not. So how do you approach heartbreak? I mean, obviously you mentioned you lost a, a previous partner. So you've dealt with a lot of heartbreak in your life. Mm. What tips do you have for dealing with yeah. heartbreak? Slow down again, lean into it, <laughs> sit it's with true. the feelings. It's all about building our tolerance mm. to uncomfortable feelings and coming back to yourself. Like we lose parts of ourselves, we leave parts of ourselves with our past partners. I think being able to rediscover who you are but not putting any pressure or timelines or limits on what the healing will look, will look like. So true. But, you know, I used to attend a meditation school Mm -hmm. and there was like this mic drop moment for me when they once said that like often when we are in a lot of pain, it's because we're dealing with like a lot of self-love, like going back to it should have looked like this, you know? And then I realized, oh, wow, I'm not dealing with this heartbreak because I have like, it's my pride that's like shot here, you know? So I feel like, yes, lean in. But also don't be too indulgent. <laughs> yeah, true. Yeah, because we can get stuck in the past, right? Yeah. And it's our ego more yeah. so that's actually, you know, in pain. A hundred percent. Is it heartbreak or is it ego break, you yeah. know? Yeah. And yeah. often I feel like it's more so ego break. But it feels like a broken heart, right? Oh, gosh, yes, because mm. it's so painful. The physicality of it can feel like that as well, can't it? It, it can, can't it? Mm. Which is also like you need to have um, – a breakdown to have a breakthrough. Like mm. I feel like ego break is really important for that next phase of who you're yeah. going to be. You know, yeah. you just reminded me of a favorite quote. I've got oh, that yeah. many. <laughs> Don't break to break down, break to break open. Oh, I love that. Yeah. Okay, I'll be using that one. Mm. Yeah, that's a good one. It's where the light gets in, right? <laughs> yeah, totally. Okay, so how do you know when it's time to walk away in a relationship? I think that's different for each person. Mm-hmm. I think knowing what you value, um, what you mean to yourself, um, trusting your gut, like that intuition. You speak about like what's our intuition or, you know, what's a red flag, what's a false alarm kind of thing. We never know. But then there's also this inner knowing inside of us. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Okay. And do you think you'd be okay on your own if you never met your person? Yes, I do. Do you think you'd ever settle? Settle's loaded. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, how do you define settling? Well, I think um, when I think about settling, it's like I think we need to be really realistic about what needs our partner can meet and it can't always be all of them. 
So settling. Why not? (laughs) (laughs) I mean, sometimes I know I put that on my partner to meet them all. But, um, you know, we relationships look different for different people. There's people that can have multiple partners and they uh, different needs are met by different people. Like our friends meet different needs that our partners can't meet. But I think settling in a negative way is settling for less than you know you deserve mm. um, versus settling in a way that means that I'm okay, I feel loved and held and most of my core values and needs are met in this relationship. But there might be some areas where I need to, you know, accept myself, work on myself and get these needs met elsewhere Yeah, in a way that doesn't discredit the relationship. So have like, okay, so you might not meet your person, but that means you would still be open to a relationship with somebody who you know isn't your person? Probably not. (laughs) So you would just be single? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I think I'd be the same. Yeah. Yeah. I really enjoyed my single years. Yeah, yeah. And I think that's why interdependence is so important in a relationship. Like, we so easily can mould into the other person, which you really want. You want to be able to do that, but you need your own lives or your own space or your own room in the house so that you can be an individual so that when, if and when we lose someone that we don't lose like our whole world. And I feel like that's really important because at the end of the day, we start this life alone and we end it alone. Mm. You know, we never know when our partner is going to leave before yeah. us or whether we'll leave before them. So you still need to have that element of independence. Mm. Okay. So going back to having lost a previous partner, how did you reach the point where you felt ready to open up your heart and date again? Mm. I can't say there was any ever specific moment, but I was always just really gentle on myself about if it feels right, it feels right. If you're not feeling it, just don't reply or, you know, say that this isn't the right plate. I would never not reply. That's so not me. I shouldn't say that. (laughs) Um, Like, you know, just say I'm not ready. So it's just tapping in and out or what's another way I could describe it. You know, when you get into a hot bath, you don't throw your whole self in. So you like put your, dip your toe in, dip your foot in, dip your leg in. So you just go slowly, you know, softly yeah. and gently. Yeah. And I think if we recognise we're not feeling it or we're getting some red, not red flags, but alarms within ourselves that we're not ready, don't ignore ourselves. Mm. Don't abandon yourself. Mm-hmm. That's what we do mm-hmm. often in connection to, or in that desperation for connection to someone else, we might abandon ourselves. It's so true. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Like I definitely honored the fact that I needed to take a break from dating Mm. when I was dealing with my heartbreak and that took years. And it's like really just acknowledging that and then like respecting that, which I feel like a lot of people don't, they succumb to the pressures of like, oh, I'm 28 and I need Mm. to find a husband, Mm -hmm. you know? And it's like, well, no, you don't. You actually need to honor your healing Mm. process regardless of how long that might take. And and the other person's not going to heal you either. That's the misconceptions we have. So I think being really clear on what we want in the next relationship, like what did we learn? So some people like to write lists of manifestation or lists of needs. Like what we always talk about red flags, but no one really talks about the green flags. Yeah. So when the green flags like flashed in front of us, we know what they are. Yeah, exactly. Certain things like... um, do, they, do their values align? Are they hardworking? Do they respect what I do? Do they Are they protective? Are they fun? Do they lift me up? Um, how do I want to feel in connection to someone else? Not just what I want it to look like, how do I want to feel when I'm with them and also when I'm not with them. That's yeah. a really big thing That's that we miss out That's very important. Mm, we overlook that. Yeah, because I've definitely had partners in the past where I was anxious and mm. sick when mm-hmm. I wasn't with them, yeah. Yeah. you know, and now with my current partner I feel completely safe and secure. Yeah. And sometimes that's our stuff and sometimes it's their stuff or their behaviour or it's a combination of both, right? Often a combination yeah. of both, yeah. I think. <laughs> so this leads mm. into my next question. What does a healthy relationship look mm. like to you? Mm. Yeah, I'm glad you said to me because it definitely (laughs) looks different to everyone. To me, communication is big because I am an overthinker. (laughs) I have ADHD as well, so I like to talk a lot. So being able to communicate uh, and listen. So healthy communication is a healthy relationship. Not perfect at it. (laughs) (laughs) I think a level of interdependence, again, comes back to being able to depend on yourself and your partner. So is that how you would define interdependence? Because I feel like a lot of people Mm. don't even know what it means. Yeah, Yeah. so I guess interdependence is the healthy medium between independence and codependence. So when we're codependence, it's kind of codependent. We can often lose like where do we begin and where does the other person end? We feel like we can't survive without them. 
extreme independence can be that trauma response. I don't need you. I'm going to do this by myself. Um, I'm independent. I don't need anybody. Not even checking in with yeah, the person. Yeah. yeah. And interdependent means, you know, our lives are intertwined. This is this is where you start. This is where I start. We have an ending, but this is where our, our worlds merge at the yeah. same time. Yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. And that you build that. Like there's so much misconception around what a healthy relationship looks like. It just doesn't come out of thin air. It's not easy. You build it. You work hard. Blood, sweat and tears. <laughs> yeah. It's. I feel like that is a really important message to get across, that it is a work in progress and it's it's constantly evolving mm-hmm. because you're constantly evolving mm-hmm. and life is constantly changing. Mm-hmm. So you can't, you don't just arrive at a healthy relationship. No, no way. <laughs> be nice. Yeah, it'll be so nice. Yeah. And they can be really complicated before they get really healthy. Like people have big make or break moments in their relationships, but there's no right or wrong way to do a healthy relationship. Like I think knowing what your boundaries are, knowing how you're going to fight fair, is it aligned with what I value? For me, willingness is a really big one. Mm-hmm. So are they willing to listen? Are they willing to compromise? Are they willing to be open? Like willingness could be applied in so many different situations. And what is your perspective on compromise in a relationship? Mm. Depends on the situation, but I think it's about give or take. Like the best outcome is some, I think a lawyer said this to me once. <laughs> the best compromise, the best outcome is where both parties aren't 100% satisfied. <laughs> Yeah, okay. Yeah. Yeah. Because otherwise you're just not giving in, but otherwise it's always meeting the other person's need. You're abandoning yourself. So you don't want to feel like you're abandoning yourself. Your compromise means that you come to an agreement that's for the greater good of the relationship. Mm -hmm. Love that. Mm. Yes. Okay. So what should people look for in a partner? Yeah, good communication, a willingness, um, a best friend, mm. you know, someone that you can kind of tell everything to, someone that's going to have the hard conversations with you. You know, we can't always be perfect in the way that we have discussions or that with our partner. We just can't always tell them that they're perfect because they're not and neither are we. So that comes back to being willing to hear feedback, you know, to hear feedback that we're not going to like. Yeah. If I reflect on the week I've just had, I feel mm. like it's so important to find a partner that accepts every part of you like Mm. this week I didn't show up as my best self but my partner didn't just dismiss me in the relationship because I was like you know not my best version but you know so he's there for the good times and the bad times and I think that that is so important Mm. because you're going to be challenged in life you're going to be sleep deprived particularly if you start a family or you get a pet you got to you just got to accept that those first three to six months you're not sleeping therefore you're not your best and you can't have a partner who makes you feel bad about Mm. that you know, mm. so it's, yeah, for me that that's really important yeah, in a relationship. Knowing there's, we have different parts of ourselves. Like oh, yeah. Some of us can be really black and white. Like my partner loves me or they don't love me. They're going to be with me or they're going to they're gonna stay or they're going to leave. 100%. Okay. <laughs> so what are some realistic relationship expectations? Mm. Because, you know, a lot of people like, I want a partner who is six foot, earns over mm. X amount a year, mm. uh, takes me to Europe once a year. You know, mm. are they realistic expectations? No, <laughs> not at all. I mean, we love those things. Love it. <laughs> We're also very um, materialistic and superficial and um, what's the word? Like we're looking at the surface, like that's like the tip of the iceberg, you know, even things like com- shared interests, common interests, your friends get along. That's great but it's actually what's underneath the surface and like the iceberg, like the Titanic hit was so much bigger underneath, like core values, Mm. right? Mm -hmm. Knowing what they are, they have to be in alignment with each other. It's so true because like I always say to Nick, there is no way I would have swiped right on you. Like no way because we don't have similar interests. He likes golf and (laughs) sport and beers with the boys and he wears Crocs. Like, There is no way in a million years if I saw his dating profile, I would have been like, he is the man for me. But then when we get to the deep stuff below the surface, under the water, Mm. our values are exactly the same. Our vision for our future, 100% the same. That's the foundation, right? That's what's going to hold you through the tough times, through the sleepless nights, through trying to manage children if you're going down that path through starting businesses or Mm -hmm. through going through phases where someone's not working. Like life throws a lot of curveballs. So you need someone that can weather the storm with you. 
And I love what you mentioned before about like fighting styles because him and I fight the same. Mm. I have had partners in the past who are like, they make the situation Mm. so much worse. Whereas with him, it's like the situation is diluted in a matter of minutes. That's lovely. Yeah. And that again, doesn't, it's not, it can be organic to a certain extent. I'm sure you found that, but you probably had to work towards, this is what works for me. This is what works for you. Compromise. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, I literally had to say last night, I am sorry, I am tired and I am irritable. And that is why I'm not acting, you know, in a way that I'm proud of. But like, you just need to understand that and just let me be. And he was like, I get it. And I'm here to support you. Oh, that's really nice. Otherwise, it would have been a huge fight that would have gone on for hours because I wasn't being reasonable or logical. I was tired. (laughs) It's like a baby, put them to bed. (laughs) Yeah, self-awareness. So actually that is what a good relationship looks like is first having a good relationship with yourself. Yeah. Mm. And being patient with one another, I think, as you grow. Mm. Like, And I, we overlook the times where people make the effort for us Mm. and our brains are naturally programmed to look at what needs they aren't meeting or what they're doing wrong or what they're saying wrong. And so why, why are our brains programmed like that? For survival. Our brains are primal. Our brains are there not to make us happy. Our brains are there to keep us alive. So if we sense a situation that feels similar to something in the past, whether it's a relationship, family, you know, our relationship blueprint from our, blueprint from our family, that's, that means danger. That's where fight, flight, freeze kicks in. That's where our survival mechanisms kick in. But so then our job is to discern when we're actually need protection or not. Yeah. So this is like when a fire alarm goes off over burnt toast or is it actually a fire? Mm. We often go off over the burnt toast or the steam coming out of the shower. It's not actually a life or death or really threatening situation. So how important do you think sex in a relationship is? This is a low, like a, this is a good question. For some people, sex in a relationship is really important. For other people, it's not as important. Okay, so say I'm dating somebody and they don't have, they don't place much importance on sex. But you do? Yeah. Are we compatible? Uh, You can learn different levels of intimacy because I think sex gets such uh, a lot of pressure on what it needs to look like, but sex is all about intimacy and there's emotional intimacy, there's intellectual intimacy, there's uh, physical touch that doesn't involve like sexual um, intercourse or those kind of um, activities. (laughs) Um, Which often to me is more important. Yeah. I mean, intimacy is allowing each other to see into each other. Mm-hmm. Right? Into me, you see. Into you, I see. Into me, I let you see kind of thing. Yeah. It doesn't not, nothing that's not exactly the same doesn't mean it's not compatible. Right. It's, again, about that willingness to work towards understanding why we have different needs. Do I need to unpack certain things that are getting in the way of allowing myself physical connection through sex? Yeah, it's I think it's important what you just said because say sex is really important to me, mm. but my partner only wants it once a week. Yeah. Then I feel rejected by my partner. Yeah. So yeah. it's not taking that personally because yeah. we just view intimacy differently. differently. Yes. yes. And there'll be different reasons why it's a prior, like more of a priority or more of a need from for one person to the other person. I think it only becomes a problem when the other person in the partnership makes it a problem if they're shaming you for them or if they're blaming you for it, if they're making you feel rejected or unattractive or unlovable. They all might be defence mechanisms, but are they prepared to kind of recognise that and work on it? And can you verbalise that to your partner? That's what makes the incompatibility, the inability to recognise the differences and kind of work towards resolving them. So say my partner is like, I only comfortably want to have sex once a week. Mm -hmm. Then do I say, okay, well, you need to show me intimacy in different ways? Yeah, absolutely. You're allowed to ask for things. People can't read our minds and we mm. often think our partners should be able to. Yeah, it's so rude when they don't. And yeah, and we get annoyed, right? <laughs> yeah, like, oh, all the time. <laughs> like they don't know when we need to pee or when we need a drink or you know, <laughs> even simple things like that. So what makes us think they can read our minds? Mm. Like we have this thing that they should know what we need. They can learn us. Yeah, this is a big thing in my relationship Mm. at the moment, actually, where I'm just like, can't you be more proactive? And he's like, why don't you just tell me Mm. what you need? I'm like, because then I feel like a nag Mm. every day. I'm giving you a list of things I need when it should just be like after a year of being together, natural for you to know that by now. But for some people, it is more natural than others. Yeah. And I wonder if he's ever actually called you a nag. No, he hasn't. That was a self-appointed title. (laughs) Or has someone else called you that in the past or have you been made to feel like asking for something means you're too much? Yeah, my childhood, definitely. Mm -hmm. So then we we project that onto our partners, right? Mm -hmm. That's the first thing. 
mm-hmm. do. Mm-hmm. My my thing is um, oh, I got to stay out of the way. I can't I can't be in the way, and that's really rejecting for a partner that wants to spend time with me all the time. Because you're pulling back while they yeah. want more of you. Yeah, and, and I you love think you're more. Do- yeah, right. I absolutely love more, but that's little Rach that's scared of being too much. The inner child in us, hundred yeah. percent. Yes. Yeah, see, like my needs were um, not acknowledged as a child. So, yeah, by me asking for something, I feel like a nag. So I'm like, why can't you read my mind? Yeah, it's so multifaceted Mm, and layered and, yeah. Okay, you can invoice me later for that. Um, (laughs) (laughs) So why do you think so many people struggle to make relationships work? Because of the relationship they have with themselves Mm. to begin with. Unrealistic expectations of what a partner should and shouldn't do. Mm-hmm. Um, we're still building our capacity on how to meet our own needs, what society says we should and shouldn't be doing. Mm, big one. Mm, looking at what our friends are doing. Comparison. Like feeling like the pressure that we should have achieved this by now, we should have achieved that by now. Yeah. A fear of going against the grain. Yes. So true. Okay. So. You've, like you said, you've been single, you've been on the apps. Do you think dating has become more difficult in recent times? I don't know. Cause I, I guess um, I went into like a first relationship when I was 19. So I wasn't really dating as such before then. I think there's more challenges. And I think that the social, me- that social media and apps make us feel more disposable. We're more materialistic and judgmental in terms of what somebody looks like, how their profile presents. Um, Potentially more difficult. Yeah, it's a hard one to say because I haven't done a lot of dating in that sense. Mm, I guess, yeah, it's given us more access, but there's more layers of complexity now, right? Mm. Yeah. So why do you think so many people like fuck boys or chase unavailable love? Yeah, it's thrill of the chase. Mm. I've been that girl that likes the bad boy that chases unavailable people, but it's often they're our mirror. Yeah. We're attracted to unavailable people because there's a part of us that probably isn't really available yet. Mm. Oh, my God. Mm. Yes. Whether it's to ourselves or somebody else. That's so true. Like when I was dating, I would often chase people who are unavailable because deep down I really wasn't ready for a relationship. Yeah, I think we're, we don't think we're worthy of a relationship. Yeah. And unfortunately, you know, um, fuck boys get a bad rap. There's a reason that they're protective and defensive and will ghost or won't write back or won't spend a, lim- will spend a limited amount of time with you because that's the relationship they've got with themselves. Mm-hmm. They don't want to sit with themselves for too long. They don't want to feel their emotions. They don't want to get close to someone because closeness probably meant pain in the past. No. So we have to have compassion for the fuck boys. Is yeah. that what you're saying? And yeah, 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 and then wish them well on their yeah. way. <laughs> yeah, don't get like, don't indulge it. Don't stick around. Don't try to yeah. fix them. Yeah. yeah, totally. Because they already feel like they're broken or something's wrong with them. So mm. the more you push and try to change or ask for more, the more this other person's going to feel like I'm not enough. Mm. I already know I'm not enough. I already know I don't have enough to give you. This is all I can give and you're asking me for more. So it's like we're triggering them. Yeah, absolutely. And that's that's quite often that um, quite common, that anxious avoidant dance. The anxious person is going to be naturally drawn to the avoidant person. Mm-hmm. We're just replaying our blueprint, our relational blueprint that we learn when we're young from our care, early caregivers. We're trying to get it right this time. We're trying to get the avoidant person to slow down and to choose us. Okay, so how do we break that blueprint? <laughs> Yeah, I wish there or was a yeah. rewrite it. Yeah, rewrite. We can because any behaviors learned can be unlearned, but we've got to remember that we've got 10, 20, 30, 40, 50 years of this pattern. So it's not, it doesn't take that many years to rewrite it, but it takes a lot of blood, sweat, and tears. It takes a lot of leaning in, it takes a lot of therapy. Honestly, someone to talk to or a close friend. It doesn't have to be a therapist that's expensive. Um, it takes a lot of being really honest with yourself and looking mm. at yourself in the mirror. Okay. So, yeah, that leads into my next question, which was do you think people's upbringing influence their relationships later in life? A hundred percent they do. And this is not about blaming parents or anything because our parents raise us based on how they were raised the time that they were raised in, you know, any challenges they had at the time, any mental health difficulties, but our upbringing 100% influences. We learn who to love and how to love from the second we're born. And so do you think that that is why so many people seem to then recreate their childhoods? Absolutely. We attract what's familiar. Our bodies in a physiological level will be drawn to somebody 
that recreates the physical sensation. So if it's stress hormone that we're addicted to, we're not addicted to the person, we're addicted to the feeling. Wow. Right? So when we miss someone, when we're heartbroken, do we miss the person or do we miss the feeling? Mm. Something we really have to ask ourselves. Yes. Funny you say that because I remember when there was this guy who I've referred to in previous apps as Scooby. Mm. Um, I was like really sad about him one day and my stepmom actually said, you don't miss him, you miss the way he made you feel in the good times, right? Yeah. Because often we don't know how to make ourselves feel that way because we don't think we're enough. Mm. So we rely on somebody Mm -hmm. to make us feel that way, something external to make us feel that way. External validation. We all do it. (laughs) Oh, all the time. (laughs) (laughs) And there's there's nothing wrong with that. Like you want to know that your partner is proud of you, has your back, like thinks you're beautiful, is supportive, is encouraging, but they're not always going to be there. They can't always answer the phone. They're not always going to know the right words to say in the moment you want to hear them. (laughs) So true. Yeah, so true. (laughs) So how do we overcome our childhood conditioning? (laughs) Yeah, just through a lot of conscious work. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So again, journaling, meditating, asking yourself the difficult questions. And the biggest thing first is often learning how to self-soothe because when we have difficulty dealing with breakups or conflict in relationship, it's often about how um, our bodies react on a physiological level. We can't tolerate it. So we need to help our bodies understand we're not in a life or death situation. Am I having a reaction that's bigger, like disproportionate to the current situation? How old do I feel in this situation? Do I feel 32 years old or do I feel 14 years old Mm. or do I feel five years old? Because then that's a inner child wound sort of coming out. Yeah, And what do I need? Because we always ask other people to meet our needs. But if they were to turn around and say, what do you need from me right now? I mean, I can't answer that 50% of the time. That's when I do the push pull. I need a hug. Oh, no, I don't. I'm so annoyed at you. I'm impulsive. You know, actually just hold me and tell me to shut the fuck up. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Yeah. Which is that little um, little rage that wants comfort from the parent, doesn't know if the parent's able to give that, pushes the parent away, but really wants the parent to stay. Yeah, it's so true. What I have found really useful in my current relationship is often when we fight, it's because I'm not thinking straight, um, so I'm not acting rationally or logically. And what I love is when my partner says something that confirms this isn't a threat to the relationship. Often the situation can't be fixed straight Mm -hmm. away, Mm -hmm. but it's like I'm here for you, I support you, I'm in this relationship. And it's like, all right, what we're going through is just like momentary. Yeah but it's not a threat to the relationship yeah. so we can move on. We can yeah. get on with the rest of our night, yeah. you know? Yeah. And, yeah, I think that's something um, I've been working on too is understanding that this isn't black and white. Like relationships are all about the grey. As much as we want it to be black and white, we're in or we're out. Mm-hmm. It's like this is just a challenge that we're going to navigate and because we're both committed to the same thing, if it's each other, we're going to get through it. A hundred percent, a hundred percent. Okay, so – I launched this podcast when I was single, obviously. Why do you think so many people struggle to be on their own? I've been waiting to answer this question. <laughs> I'm going to have a sip of water. Excited <laughs> for this one. It's a big one. Mm-hmm. We, I mean, we could dedicate the entire episode Absolutely to this. We could. Yeah. I think like well, I know on a biological level, our ancestors being alone, being abandoned by our tribe means we're unsafe, means the tiger's going to eat us in the wild, means death right? So when we're on our own, we, we can probably all relate to feeling like we are going to die, like mm. the pain is too unbearable because being left alone yeah, is wow. terrifying. We don't know how to be on our own. So it's unnatural for us. Yeah. Well, it's why it's so, it's, yeah, it is like it's in our genes to be um, in connection with people all the time. We didn't live in homes on our own or with, you know, three or four people. We lived in large communities of 30 or 40 or 50 people and we all protected each other. It's funny because when I was about six years into being single, one of my best friends said to me, she lives on the other side of the world and we were FaceTiming and she said, I don't think it's natural for you to be on your own this long. Mm. And I was like really like content with being single. Like that thought didn't actually occur to me. I was like, what do you mean? And then I read the book Attached as Mm. well and he also talks about how we're relational beings and, you know, even when you're in a relationship, physiologically you become connected. So we actually do, like you said, rely on people for our survival and our well-being. So that was hugely insightful Mm. for me. So I completely resonate with what you're saying right now. Yeah, and actually before Flight and Freeze, 
our primary method of survival is connection. Yeah. So a social engagement system. Can we connect with someone else? Can they make sure we're safe? Can we make sure they're safe? So there's also a difference between being alone and feeling lonely. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Because we can be alone or on our own and be fine, but we can be in a relationship and still feel lonely. Oh, been there. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> been there. <laughs> but also, like, um, as children, being alone could have been a punishment. Oh, yeah. Right? So if we're our current partner shuts down, maybe because they're protecting themselves from their internal world, maybe they're stonewalling us like it's an actual like intentional technique to uh, re- try and recreate connection or create distance or punishment. That's why being alone can be hard too. Mm. Depends what our relationship with, with it is in, our relationship with being alone is in the past. So true. So what advice do you have for women who struggle with their singledom? Get to know yourself because mm. often people don't like being alone because they don't like who they are or they don't know who they are. Yeah. Be curious, explore, um, do things that make you feel good, do things that make you feel like shit and then recognise you don't want to do that again. Yeah. 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 That's not working for me. <laughs> no, Let's not do fine. that again. <laughs> <laughs> but don't force yourself to keep doing things that don't feel good. Yeah. Whether you're on your own or in a relationship or in connection with someone else or dating or however you want to label it. Yeah, I think that's a really important message because, like, obviously when you're single, you feel like Mm. you need to be out getting drunk on a Saturday night, going to the clubs. I tried that in my 20s and I was like, oh, yeah, that's not for me. Not for you. Yeah. Yeah. You know, so why pretend? Like, I'm not going to meet my person out at a club on a Saturday night because I don't like being there. Yeah, yeah. I like to go out and dance. I'd never wanted to meet anyone out. I want to be left the fuck alone. (laughs) That was your time, you know? Yeah. Yeah, totally. Uh, Okay, so why do you think so many people find dating difficult? probably because they are unclear on who they are, what they want. They don't necessarily value themselves. There's a low lack of self-worth. They don't think they're deserving of what they want, even when they do know what they want. Yeah. There's fear of judgment. The social media ideal person, um, you know, what they think is acceptable, how we should look, how we should dress, how we should behave. That was a big one for me. Mm. Yeah, I dismissed so many guys, you know, yeah. when I was newly single because I was like, oh, you don't look the way I thought you should yeah. look or yeah. you're not acting the way I think you yeah. should act. And then it was like, yeah, changing my values. Mm. Mm. Yeah. So that's like not the tip of the iceberg stuff, like the deeper stuff. Yeah. Yeah, but it takes it's hard to change those values until oh. we can see there's value in that. Yeah. Right? Oh my, it took me mm. nine years. Mm. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it was not an overnight no, job. Not And I changed in the process, you know, so I became somebody different. Like you said, like there's lots of different loves out there for us because I was no longer that person. Mm -hmm. But I think I want to say it can also change while in connection and relationship to someone as well Mm -hmm. because, you know, there's plenty of beautiful love stories. I've got friends that have been together since they were 14 or 15 and they're still best friends and they've grown together but not that's not possible for every relationship to be able to grow together some people grow together separately they grow apart yeah it looks different for everybody yeah and that's okay I feel like people need to hear that just because you can't grow together Mm -hmm. doesn't mean the relationship is a failure yeah or that you're a failure yeah so true uh so what advice do you have for women who hate dating yeah good question I think dating should be fun. Dating should be like approached in a way that I'm just going to go meet this person. They might be a friend. They might be a moment. They might be a couple of weeks. I might get to know something more about myself. Yeah. I think dating is often hard when we go in with the attitude that I need their approval. I need to perform for them. Like don't perform. Let them show you who they are. Yeah, don't pretend mm. or perform. Mm. Like, we, you know, I mean, also if they treat you like shit from the get-go, Pay attention to that. Like you should put your best foot forward. Like I had a friend say to me once, um, oh, if that's their intro, imagine their outro, right? A hundred percent. Because in the beginning, that's supposedly yeah. as good as it gets, <laughs> course, right? right? <laughs> but yeah, I remember I said to Nick like six months into our relationship, do you know what I loved about you in the beginning was you led with all of your flaws. You were like, this is like who I am mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. blah. And he was like, they weren't flaws. That was just who I was. <laughs> <laughs> And I was like, oh, yes, sorry, that's what I mean. (laughs) But he was just like so good at being vulnerable and honest and transparent. And I was so used to the narcissist who love bombed me and, you know, sold me their best story. Uh Uh, So with him, it was just so refreshing. It was like, oh, you're not pretending to be someone you're not, which was actually a huge flex, you know. Yeah, it is. Yeah, to be vulnerable is 
courageous. It really is. It's very yeah. sexy because mm. it's mm. rare. Yeah. I mean, I'm so, certainly not as good as it. Yeah, as, as, yeah exactly. Ex- he's leading by example. <laughs> yeah, totally. Okay, so let's do a hypothetical together. Sure. So pretend I'm your client. Mm-hmm. And I come to you and I say to you, I've been single for five years mm-hmm. and I'm so unlucky in love. I can't seem to get past a second or third date. I just want to give up, but I'm worried I'm going to die alone. What would you say back? Uh, I would really want to understand um, what is the most fearful thing to you about dying alone? What does it mean to you to die alone? What are your memories of being alone? So I like to help a person sort of go back and really understand what they think is wrong with that. Okay, let's continue with the hypothetical. Mm -hmm. Family is really important to me. What does family mean to you? Connection, Mm -hmm. legacy, Mm -hmm. um, giving back, Mm -hmm. growing together, Mm -hmm. those sorts of things, you know, and giving love. I don't want to miss out on that. And what is it that makes you feel like that needs to all come from a partner? How else will I start a family without a partner? Mm. I can't do it alone financially, emotionally, time-wise. I want a best friend who I can start a family with, Mm. but I can't seem to find that best friend. So if I don't find that best friend, I'm going to feel like a failure and I missed out on a huge, amazing chapter that I'm seeing everyone in my life be able to do. Why can't I do it? Mm. So you already feel like a failure? Sure. Mm. Good question. <laughs> it's one I receive oh, every fine. single day yeah. in my DMs. And I just see low. It's I just see a really strong internal critic here. Like, yeah. I, I really would want. I really want to help you understand where these messages come from. That you're not enough without all of these things. They're beautiful things to really want to um, aspire to and for your life to look for your life to look like. But I, my hope for you is that you would feel fulfilled in your life on your own to know that you are enough. But I understand that's really hard to connect with that right now. So if I can't have the family, mm. you're saying that I need to find ways to give love and create a legacy without that? Yeah. Do you feel like there could be other ways? Maybe not right now. But yeah. maybe if we start to understand what legacy means to you. Um, connection. What, uh, wait, what does connection mean to you? What are your memories of connection? I'd really want to work quite slowly and unpack a lot of that for you. Mm-hmm. So maybe just reframe it. Mm. Interesting. Because it's that question's just loaded with layers of judgment and critic towards yourself. Yeah. So it's not a one like, yeah. and it's a thing. And it's, it's not wrong to want those things either. No. Yeah. And it doesn't mean you can't have them. Mm. But I think sometimes um, we want these things but we have a limited understanding of the different ways we can achieve them, mm. achieve them, reach mm. them, attain mm-hmm. them. Interesting. Okay, let's do another hypothetical. Let's pretend I've come to you because my partner of five years cheated on me. Mm -hmm. Do you think I am able to salvage the relationship or should I walk away? You both need to want to salvage the relationship. Mm -hmm. Cheating doesn't have to mean that a relationship is over, but moving forward needs to mean that both of you can put all your cards on the table, talk about why it wasn't working and agree on what it's going to look like moving forward and agree when you know you're done. How do I recover from the betrayal? Mm, not everyone can recover from the betrayal and I think it probably takes more work, more work to stay than to walk away. Wow. So you really need to want that relationship. Yeah. And you need, really need to know that your partner actually values you. Depends what the nature of the cheating was like. It, the, you know, we, you and I are both massive fans of Esther Perel. Yes. <laughs> She's got a whole book on that. Yes. Mm. And the different phases we go through, um, blame games, normal, you know, why did the person cheat? What do I think it says about me? What did I really need from my partner? What did they need from me? You know, both of you really should be in therapy individually. Both of you should probably really be in couples therapy if you can. I know that's not for everyone. Mm-hmm. Therapy's not for everyone. But, mm-hmm. you know, you need to know what your bottom lines are and when you want to walk away. Should I blame myself for the fact that my partner cheated on me? You probably will, whether you should, whether it's helpful. But we do. We play things over and over and over in our head. Like I'm naturally an overthinker, so mm-hmm. I would – Picture the scenario, I'd be picturing the person with the other person and that can just destroy us. And if we don't have the ability to kind of get some level of control over that, we're just going to eat ourselves alive. Okay. It's a really, there's a a really hard question to answer. Yeah. And like you said, it depends on the context and And the level of commitment mm -hmm. afterwards. 
mm-hmm. to repairing the relationship. But also it's not about forgiving the other person. It's about forgiving yourself first because mm. we blame ourselves when something like that happens. We think the other person's bigger, better, brighter, shinier. Okay. So what is one piece of advice you have when it comes to love and relationships? Mm, be yourself. Mm. So hard. Mm, absolutely. I always used to say, even for the brief amount of time I was on the dating apps, if I have to think too hard about what I'm going to say, it means I'm already not feeling connected to that person. Mm. I should be able to say the first thing that comes to my mind. So true. Okay. Rachel, what's next for you? In what sense? (laughs) (laughs) Work and play. Mm. Um, I guess in work, I'm moving more towards working with women and supporting them around, you know, building healthy relationships with themselves and any like kind of relational issues or difficulties they might be having professionally I'm also moving towards helping people work around like somatically with their body so understanding their nervous system and being able to regulate that for themselves because often that's a foundation of um, healthy you know talk therapy and making progress in other areas in life Love that. Mm. And, yeah, um, personally is just to be going on adventures, enjoying my time, um, you know, failing forward. I don't love the word fail, but failing forward with any, like, challenges that life might throw at us or in the relationship. So um, love failing forward. Yeah, I used yeah. to have a blog called Failing oh, Forward. Yeah, I love it. It's a huge term yeah, in coaching yeah. because that's how you have to approach life mm, where all just works in progress. Yeah, and trying to be more present is something that I am working on personally. Because you're an overthinker. Yeah, because yeah. I'm an overthinker. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> absolutely. Yeah, enjoying the present moment, whether it's time with friends, time with a partner, time going for a walk, like trying to be present. <laughs> love that. Rachel, thank you so much for coming on the podcast today. Thank you so much for having me. It's a pleasure. Thank you so much for listening to this guest app with licensed psychologist Rachel Tocasio. Please show some love for Love Uncensored by leaving a review. As a thank you, I'll give a shout out to all reviewers at the start of each episode and send a special surprise your way. Don't forget to hit subscribe and share the podcast with your friends and family, as well as follow me on Instagram at love.uncensored.podcast or join the private Facebook group Love Uncensored, The Modern Guide to Dating and Relationships. Oh, and before we wrap up, please slide into my DMs and let me know which type of episode you love most. Are you more into the juicy and intimate conversations like today's or do you prefer the apps that delve deeper into the technical aspects of dating and relationships? This podcast is made for you, so please tell me what you crave to hear more of. I'll see you next week with another solo app.